Thank you for joining us on the Underdog Podcast, the place where we believe at one point in your life, you were an underdog and overcame adversity. And for that reason, we want to hear your story. I am your boy, Calvin Blackman. And I am Kyle Decker. This episode is powered by Crimcheck. Hey, Black, what's on your background? Skirt, skirt, squeaky clean. Mm, I don't know about that, but hey, everyone has a past. And while we aim to tell stories, we also know how important it is for employers to get the answers they need to make hiring decisions quickly, which is why we have partnered with a company called Crimcheck. They specialize in providing pre-employment screening and certified background checks. Don't be left in the dark. Contact Crimcheck today by going to crimcheck.net. Make sure to mention this ad to hear about their premier pricing solutions. Hey, Black. Yes, Deck. Did you apply lotion today? Man, that is a little personal. No way. Lotion is a metaphor for the little things in life we let slip, which then snowballs into cutting corners in other areas of our life. Our guest this week, Dr. Karen Townsend, dedicated an entire book to the importance of self-care. Nice. Well, now I know what the hell to get you for Christmas. A bottle of Dr. Teal's Eucalyptus Spearmint Lotion. Welcome to the UDP, Karen. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to have you. Super, super excited. So coming in, wearing the pretty pink, the book, everything. This looks great. I think this is the most energy we've had from a start from from the UDP. I heard her from, coming from the lobby. She got all the <laughs> way to here. She got off the elevator, snapped the picture right away. Yeah. She was yeah. ready. So we love your energy. Yeah. Excited to uh, dive into your story. So the one thing I wanted to start off, I think this podcast with was a quote from your mother. Um, you may live in the projects, but the projects don't have to live in you. I thought that was a great way to start. Um, you know, explain to the listeners, I guess, your childhood and where you came from. Well, one of the things that, that I like to share with people is my entire journey. And I feel very blessed to be where I am today. I, I own a business. I'm an author. I get to do work that I love every day. And I'm a person that many people would look at and say she's successful. And, and I give all honor and glory to God, my mama in Kentucky State. That's why I am who I am today. But people don't know my entire story because I have a very impressive resume today. But my first resume would have said poor black girl being raised by a single mother in the projects on welfare. And a lot of people get stuck there. And a lot of people believe where I am today is where I have to stay. Mm -hmm. But my mother used to always say, you may live in the projects, but the projects don't have to live in you. And it's something that was always in the back of my mind. Parents say a lot of things to children and, and you wonder if it really is making an impact. And I don't know if it made an impact at that moment, but I guess it did because here I am today. Um, I think it's important for people to realize that you are more than your current situation. You are more than your environment. Um, you are more than any obstacle or challenge that you're facing. And that was a lesson I got from my mother early on. So kudos to Lucy. Kudos to Lucy. <laughs> Shout out to Lucy. And what role, um, what, what role did education play on play early in your life for you? You know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm African American. Notice when you got. I'm off saying the that because you know sometimes people say I don't see you as a black person, so I just wanted to put it out there <laughs> that I, that I am a black person. And for a lot of young black youth, 
Um, they think the only way out of poverty or out of the ghetto or out of negative circumstances is through sports, especially our African-American males. I got to get a scholarship playing football so I can get out of this circumstances. Well, I, although I'm African-American, I'm not male and I couldn't get a football scholarship to go to college. So I realized early on the only way I could go to college was if I earned a scholarship through my academics and I remember being in the fifth grade, and I'm not sure why, but in the fifth grade, I decided I was going to college. And I would count down every year. Seven years, I get to go to college. and six years, I get to go to college. And I counted down every year because I knew it was my ticket to a better life. Um, I was so blessed to get a scholarship to do my undergraduate work. I earned a fellowship to do my master's degree, and I fought for the right to have financial assistance to pursue a PhD. But I know um, education gives you options. Right. And I'm a living witness that uh, the the more you know, the further you go. Now, did your mother, uh, what was, was your mother educated or, you know, what was kind of her, her little bit of a backstory? My mother did not go to college. I'm a first generation college student. Uh, my mother did go to a vocational school and she was a licensed practical nurse, uh, but she worked really hard and she made a lot of sacrifices. And probably if for no other reason but to make her proud, I wanted to do all that I could do to um, pay homage to her by living a good life. Is there a moment when you can think back to you, when you see your mother, one of those sacrifices that really stands out and you say, you know, you really start to appreciate everything that she's doing and the hard work that she's put in? Being a mother myself, I have two daughters and I have a husband, so I'm not a single mom, but I can barely do what I do with a spouse. And I just wonder how the heck did you do that? And the other thing is, I remember when I was in high school, I would come home and my mother would, would come in from work and she would cook dinner and then she would take a bath and she would go to bed at like eight o'clock. And I'm like, why are you going to bed? It's only eight o'clock. But now that I'm a mother, <laughs> it's like pajamas on, time to get in bed. And she did it all by herself. And so I just I'm so grateful to her. I can't think of one thing, but I'm grateful just for so many things that she did for me. I'm from a really small town in Kentucky. Um, the major industry was coal mining. Mm -hmm. So there weren't a lot of professionals and very few who looked like me. So just the constant encouragement from my mother telling me that anything you want to do, you can do it. And I believed it. So so here I am. That's, that's great. I mean, talk about, we talk about visualization a lot. And I think the one common theme throughout our guests in the podcast year to date is they visualize where they're going. And I think obviously you had that vision early on mm -hmm. and that stems from your mother, right? Believing, Hey, this is, this doesn't have to be your circumstance. Mm -hmm. And so how putting the work to make your vision come in and to get to um, get through high school to get to college to earn the scholarship. Like, was that again from your mother, or how was that just an innate? You think is a was it a learned? I know we talked about being a learning leader, or was it just something? How did you have the vision then accomplish those tasks? Like, what were what was the you know some of the things behind um, your success? I think I've always been a planner, yeah, and a, a goal setter. 
Um, so I think always having something to focus on mm -hmm. and always having the next big goal. So sometimes people set a goal and they achieve it and, and they don't have the next big goal. One of the things I learned when I was working on my doctorate, someone told me that once people complete a PhD, many people go into a depression. And I thought, why the heck would you go into a depression? You've, you've achieved this lofty goal. People call you doctor. Why would you be depressed? But what I realized is, all right, now I did that. What's next? What's next? Right. And then I realized that's the reason Michael Jordan required retired from basketball. And then the next thing we knew he was playing baseball and then he was going back to basketball. Can you imagine retiring at the top of your game and not having the next big thing? So I think it's important to always have what is your next big goal? And I have been blessed to achieve just about every goal I've set for myself except one goal, and I will never be able to realize that goal because that was to meet the artist formerly known as Prince who went back to being Prince again. I'm a diehard Prince fan, and, and I feel very sad that I never had the opportunity to meet him before he went to heaven. Yeah. That's uh, I, I read that and I was like, when I, when I was I was coming back, <laughs> I was doing my prep, and I was like, the only goal I haven't, and I just found that so, once again, she made me chuckle a lot yesterday, <laughs> but that was one where I was like, Prince, wow, that's the only thing so far. So uh, I thought you were going to say like, I wanted to be the president no, or I wanted no. to, you know. Prince, not Michael Jackson. Not Michael Jackson. No, so, Prince. So Prince it is. Prince. So what, what started the little off topic? I think that's, here, that's, let's, that's, let's, let's, let's go. go down this avenue just for a second. Why Prince? And what was the, the, the drive behind your passion behind being such a fan or a... I was introduced to Prince by my high school boyfriend when I think I was a sophomore or junior in high school. And I just, I had the blue album and I just thought- The he record. Was, yes, the blue, on vinyl. Right, okay. Yes, hey, on vinyl. Don't yeah. date I'm her. I'm not dating her, yeah. but that's priceless. It is. But <laughs> I remember the blue album and his hair was blown out and he was just so sexy, even though I wasn't supposed to use those words at that age. <laughs> and I just, I just fell in love with Prince and I have been a follower of Prince since I was 15. So many decades. And I'm very, um, I guess, critical when people say, oh, I love Prince. I'm a Prince fan. My question is before or after Purple Rain? Because for me, if you came after Purple Rain, you're just like a Johnny come lately and you're not a real Prince fan. So I have lo I've loved Prince. Guess I'm Johnny. Yeah. I've loved Prince <laughs> since I was born. Um, many people don't know it, but his song, Most Beautiful Girl in the World, he wrote that for my first daughter, Saran. And the song Beautiful, Loved and Blessed, he wrote for my second daughter, Kaylin. That's my story, and I'm sticking to okay. it. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> now, hey, breaking news. Right, right, right here on the Underdog Podcast. Prince is looking I had no down. Idea like that was going to be coming out. Hey, you never know. You never know. Little Sports Center breaking news. I like it. Um, all right. So, <clears throat> moving on, uh, just kind of down your timeline. So, you get your bachelor's from Kentucky State. Shout out to the Thoroughbreds. Yes. Um, and then you move on to. Uh, the Ohio State, 
The Ohio State University. Your favorite man. university. The Mr. Ohio Blackman. State University. O-H. I-O. Here we go. Go blue, but we won't go down that path. So He's a Michigan fan. Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. How, when's the last time you beat Ohio State? Oh, see you guys next Saturday. When's the last time you beat Ohio State? Yeah. You know, it's been a while. That's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Sore right. subject. We'll keep moving on. Keep moving on. So you, uh, you, you move on to, <laughs> you, you move to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, to to attend the Ohio State University, and that's where you gained your master's, master's degree. degree. Mm-hmm. And then on to the University of Dayton, mm-hmm. where you gained your doctorate and have been in Dayton, Ohio, ever since, correct? Correct. And that's you met your husband at the Ohio State University? No, I, I met him at a party. Okay. A party that neither of us wanted to be at, but we were there, and I guess because we were supposed to be there to meet each other. And I remember I was invited by one of my younger sorority sisters. She was 22, I was 25. (laughs) And I remember thinking, I don't wanna go to this party with these kids. And she was like, please go, please go. So I went to the party and of course, all the kids were there and I just kind of sat around. And my husband tells a story that he, also did not want to be there. And he kind of felt the same way. But when he saw me, he thought I looked his age. So he drank some courage and came over and talked to me. And that's the way we met. Liquid courage. No doubt. No no problem with that. That's how I met my wife. So is that a strategy? Do you know the same way too? Hey, it was my birthday. It was my birthday. And then, yeah. (laughs) So she, she came up to me. So that's how I like to think. Once again, it's like the the whole Princeton. That's (laughs) how I want to. That's my story. But um, I, I got a question about higher education because mm-hmm. I think it's coming under um, a lot of pressure and a lot of criticism of students coming out of school and not being able to uh, coming out of high, you know, lots of debt coming out of higher education and not being able to pay off that debt for mm-hmm. and putting them in a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. You coming from um, lots of and, and congratulations, by the way, to go through all those universities and accomplish what you did. Uh, fantastic. So. With that said, how do you feel about higher education and some of those criticisms that are coming down now? I think that we as a nation need to do a much better job of making higher education affordable and accessible. Mm-hmm. Because I could not go to college if if I would have been expected to pay for it. My, my mother couldn't afford it. Luckily for me, I earned a scholarship. Uh, and then there are other students who are very smart, but not smart enough to qualify for a scholarship. There's students whose parents um, have money, but not enough. You know, we, we make too much to qualify for aid and we don't make enough to meet the cost of tuition and room and board. Um, and education is starting to become something that will be only uh, an opportunity for the wealthy. And that is unfortunate. And I think we need to do a better job as a nation to make education something that's affordable and accessible to as many people as possible. Um, With that said, I think a four-year degree is not required for every job. And I, I don't think college necessarily should be a requirement for every person. I think we need to reframe two-year colleges. Community colleges are a great way to start, and it's a great way to make college affordable. I think there's been a stigma associated with community colleges that they're not real colleges. Well, they are real colleges, and they're a great pathway to a four-year degree. 
No, that's great. And I, I recently I'm doing, uh, being a young father of two kids and I sent a lot of the staff that are in the similar situation. I was doing financial planning mm-hmm. and my fan, financial advisor says, yeah, you need to, we went through it of, of, um, you know, where, where college is and, you know, where it's going to be going, the inflation from now till I guess 20, whatever it was, 34 or wherever, wherever my uh, first son would be entering into college. And if it went to the same university I did, which is Miami university, it would be approximately, um, they're talking about being triple the cost. So if it costs 20 grand now, it's gonna be 60 grand a year. So it's gonna be like 240,000 mm-hmm. for a four year, just bachelor's degree. And I was like, OMG, <laughs> like this is crazy. Um, but just to, to kind of go through that, like, okay, hey, you're spending a quarter of a million dollars to put one kid. So like right now I sent it to the group and I said, if I was gonna say from now till then, it was like 5,000, at least five to $7,000 a year, you know, over the next 15 to 18 years, just to put my son or sons through college. And that's per, you know, so 10 grand or 14 grand a year, for both my sons. And that's, 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 that's insane. It is. And it just, I don't know how it's where, where the rubber is going to meet the road. Right. Um, with the, the way it's going, it's just, it's, it's going to, something's going to have to give. So anyway, not to go on that complete tangent, but I think it was important with education and then also kind of educating our team. I said, guys, do you realize that, you know, Calvin here put, has two young kids, Tiffany, who's part of the podcast. I was like, you need to save basically a, a half million dollars for your two kids. Are you guys doing that? And they were like looking at me with those big old eyes like no as soon as they're born you need a 529 plan exactly yep 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 Yep. start start storing away (laughs) because it's getting expensive so hold on tight scholarship (laughs) (laughs) as we just talked about um so one thing i did want to talk about obviously this is the underdog podcast and we'll get into um you know your business and and everything and and your your career um but you you obviously met your husband and everything and you talked a lot about you know uh early on you know always wanting to be a mother and one unfortunate you know an unfortunate incident that happened was you did have two miscarriages um and in the midst of you know, becoming an entrepreneur and, and figuring out, you know, what your life's path is going to be, you know, what effect did that have on you um, as you were kind of entering your career in, in that timeline? I was so mad at God. And I am a person of faith, but I was so mad at God. And I remember saying, look, I did it right. I went to college, I got a job, I found a great guy, we got married, we bought a house, we've done some vacationing, we're ready to be parents. And I said, there's so many girls that are dropping babies and they don't have the support that we have. I'm just, I'm mad. And I think I had to, to deal with the hurt of it all. Um, And after the fact, I learned that miscarriages are not uncommon, but when you are a young person, a young woman who wants to be a mom, nobody's telling you that, and you start to feel like you're a failure, like what's wrong with me that I can't carry this baby? Why can't I, I be a mom? And I remember talking to my hairdresser of all people about these miscarriages. And she said, um, 
you need to go see this one particular doctor. And so I went to see him and I was just very emotional and in tears. And I remember uh, him saying he was a foreign man. Um, and he said, do not worry, you will have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I did have a baby. I had two babies, as a matter of fact, but I had to do so many things to have a baby. I mean, fertility and take your temperature and make a chart and go on special medicine just to have those two babies. Um, but it was worth it. But I think there are other women who need to know that if you've had a miscarriage, you know, just keep at it. Um, get wise counsel from your doctors. You might have to get a new doctor because after I had two miscarriages, my doctor said, oh, just go home and get pregnant again. And I was like, wait a minute. If there's something wrong with me or my husband or us coming together, um, I need to know that because I cannot do this again. And I guess in the spirit of full disclosure, after you have a miscarriage, you have to have these medical procedures to get your body right. And it can be very painful and they give you pain medication. And I remember um, after the second miscarriage and the second procedure and my pain medication, I know how people get addicted to pain medication because I was so hurt, uh, not physically, but emotionally that I didn't even want to be conscious. And so, oh, it's time for your pill. Okay, give it to me. I'll take it. Not because I was in physical pain, but because I was in emotional pain. So, well, thank you for being honest there. Yeah. Um, I think people need to hear that for sure. So if, if, you know, speaking upon, you know, the miscarriages and helping other, maybe someone that's listening that has gone through it or, um, unfortunately might go through it down the road. Uh, what are some other things that got you through? So you had, you were in that emotional state, you're taking, you know, pain medication to, to somewhat numb yourself. Then how did, how did you break through um, like what, what are some things that is there, is there assistant groups out there? What were, are there communities? I mean, obviously I know you're, you've created a lot mm -hmm. of, of different communities through, uh, your different networks, but what, what, what could someone do to, uh, address that if they're going through the same situation? I think the, the first thing to do is be very honest about how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. So often we go through um, hurt and pain and emotions, and we don't feel that we can be open and honest about how we're feeling. There are too many people who are suffering in silence. So I would say find that person that you can be honest with. And there's a, a, a lady in my life now, and we came together after my second miscarriage. And I don't know how she knew I had gone through this, but she reached out to me and shared her story with me. So, so she was supportive. She'd been, um, she'd been through the same situation. And one of the things that I believe is when you have the courage to tell your truth, it gives other people permission to tell theirs. And you realize that you're, that you're not alone. I don't know of support groups and I'm, I'm so far removed from it now. I mean, my youngest daughter is 20, but the more we can be open and honest and talk about it. I remember when Beyonce talked about having a miscarriage, it started a conversation. Mm -hmm. And just an example of when you tell your truth, it gives people um, that open door to talk about what they're going through. And then 
if there's someone in your life who's been through it to have a listening ear and not say things like, oh, it was the plan of God. And oh, uh, just listen, just listen. Awesome. <clears throat> Sorry to go down the that path, but I think that was important and, and, and powerful. And like Kyle said, you know, for, for people listening who who may be in, in your shoes. Um, I think that's a good message for, for them to, to hear. Um, so I do want to transition now. I see you peeking at my notes. Uh, I can't see them because <laughs> I don't have on my glasses. Um, but <laughs> I want to talk more about, um, about my sisters and, you know, 1993 and how that all came about um, and, you know, what it's become to today. So take us back to, you know, 1993 and how, about my sisters and the sister to sister conference and all of that really kind of evolved. Um. The year was 1993. (laughs) Bill Clinton was in the white house. Karen Townsend had just turned 30 and she thought she was having a midlife crisis. But now I know for sure that that was my practice midlife crisis because I've had the real one since, but I had just turned 30 and I don't know how it is with guys, but for women, when you have those milestone birthdays, you start asking yourself things like, am I doing what I thought I would be doing? Am I at the place in my career I thought I would be? Do I have the right people surrounding me? And so those were the questions that I was asking myself. And I went to my friend and colleague, who was also my boss at the time, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we could have a day where we brought women together and we just talked about those things that are important to us. And she said, yeah, that would be great. And if you want to do it, I'll help you. So we started planning this one day event and we thought if we could get about 30 women to come, it would be great. On the day of the event, we had 132 women to show up. So we were over the moon and during lunch, we we had sort of an open mic kind of thing. And we asked women to talk about what they were getting from the day. And one woman went to the mic and she said, this is so wonderful. This is so needed. Can we do it again next week? <laughs> <laughs> and we said, well, maybe not next week, but maybe next year. And again, we thought this was going to be a one-time, one-day event, and it has evolved into a conference that has been going on for 26 years. Last year, we celebrated our 25th anniversary, and we were recognized as one of the longest-running events in the country, and I'm very proud of that. I'm, I'm happy that I took this vision to Lillian Johnson and we had a student worker, Charlotta Taylor, and we worked together to make it happen. And even though they no longer live in the area, I have a team of volunteers who support the vision and we do this conference every year. And it's it's part of our mission, which is to empower one million women and girls. And that sounds like almost an impossible goal. But I believe if I empower one woman and she empowers another one and she empowers another one, then exponentially we will empower one million women and girls. Um, it's a message that's very important to me. I want to speak my way around the world with this message. Earlier this year, year I had the opportunity to go to Johannesburg and talk to women um, about 
just taking care of themselves and making themselves a priority. We've done events in the Bahamas and in the Dominican Republic. And in March, we are going to Dubai. So Wow. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So how many women, <clears throat> how are you, how many of the million? I know you said that's a, a long goal, but once again, you're an underdog. So you're on the under, <laughs> so anything is uh, achievable. So where are you guys, uh, I guess, towards that goal? Do you have an idea? I know I it's no, hard to even. I have no idea, Kyle. And someone said, just pick a number and start car- start tracking from there. So I really don't know. You might already be affected. I, I, quite Maybe. frankly, you might be over a million. We possibly could be. You just don't know. 26 years. Yeah. Yeah. I would say more than likely that, like you said, the words that are coming out that have gone to many different people have spread. Obviously, you're sustaining excellence and Mm -hmm. 25 years is incredible. Um, I don't even think you're 25 years old. So So about my sister um, is the overall, is that correct? And then sister to sister is a conference Mm-hmm. Kind of underneath the umbrella. Correct. So can you talk about the difference, I guess, in About My Sister as, as it compared to Sister to Sister? About My Sisters is the umbrella organization. And under that, we do the Sister to Sister conference. And then I do a series of other programs for women. We we do an event called Confidential Conversations. And it's small groups of women who come together. And I like to say we create a safe place for women to tell the truth about their lives. What I noticed is that women who reach a certain level, they don't have the freedom to talk about things that are important to them. Because if you're a C-suite woman and you had a bad day and you say something, people are like, you know, quit your whining. You've got this great job and great life. So women are silent. And then women who are just building their careers, if they start to ask questions or feel stressed out, then people say, well, maybe you aren't going to make it. Maybe this isn't the right path for you. So again, women aren't able to communicate the realities of their life. But through confidential conversations, we invite women to come together in a safe environment where they can, without judgment, talk about what's going on in an atmosphere that is affirming and empowering. Love it. That's that's great. Yeah. And then going into, I think it's a good segue into your book. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to us about how you know now you're a best-selling author and all the different things what talk to us about your book the name of it and what inspired it what inspired yeah the name of the book is it all started when i stopped using lotion one woman's journey from chaos to calm and lotion is a metaphor for the little things that we do in our lives and in talking to women all across the country and now all across the globe i find that Women will stop doing one little thing and then they'll stop doing another and another and another. And then your life gets out of balance and you're overscheduled, overwhelmed and overcommitted because you aren't taking care of yourself. For me, it literally was lotion. I'm a person who has always loved to take long bubble baths. And I can remember getting out of the bathtub and not putting on any lotion because I said I don't have enough time. And then the next day, I didn't just skip the lotion, I skipped the bath. I took a shower instead because I said it'll save me time. And over a series of weeks, I stopped doing other things. I stopped doing my weekly manicure and pedicure. I let my biweekly appointment at the salon go. I didn't go get my massage and just one thing after another after another. And my friend, Jackie, picked up on it and she said, we need to go 
to the spa. We need a spa day. So we're at the spa and we had all the treatments. We had a massage, facial, manicure. The last service of the day was a pedicure. And the, the nail tech was doing this stuff on my feet. And he said, you've got this callus on the bottom of your foot. He said, do you walk a lot? And I said, yeah, walk all the time, every day. And he said, well, do you wear heels? I, I wear heels every day. I'm not as tall as people think I am because I wear heels so much. And he said, well, when you take a bath, do you use a pumice stone on your feet? I said, a bath? I can't remember the last time I took a bath. And the last time I took a bath, I didn't even put on lotion. <gasps> and then I realized that it literally, it all started when I stopped using lotion. So whatever your lotion is, whatever little thing that's important to you, I just want to encourage women and men to do those things. Because if you don't take care of you, you can't take care of anyone else. Love that. If you can't take, just reiterate that one more time. If you can't take care of you, you can't take care of anyone else. I think that's important in any fact of life. I, I 100%, I'm right on board with that. I'm trying to think of what my lotion is. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, what is my lotion? So Food? one of the <clears throat> questions that I ask people, what, what is it that brings you joy? Right. Make a list of the things that bring you joy right. and then do them. And so often we don't do the thing, not because we can't afford it. We don't do it because we don't take the time to right. do it. So what is like an extra, so you just sit down, have an exercise to figure out what my lotion is. is so you're saying write down everything that I enjoy mm -hmm. and then figure out what I'm doing and not doing and how I institute that back into my life or what's what your... Make a list of, of five things or 10 things that bring you joy. That's the mm -hmm. first thing. And then ask yourself, when was the last time you did it? Okay. And if you haven't done it, why haven't you done it? I did this with a group of women once and uh, just picked random people from the room. What is it that brings you joy? What brings you joy? And this one lady said, dancing. I just love to dance. I love to dance. I love to dance. I said, great. When was the last time you've been out dancing? And she said, 10 years. Like, really? A decade of no dancing. That's a long time. Yeah. Something you love. Right. But many of us, if we really thought about what brings you joy and when was the last time you did it? As much as I love baths, I mean, we built a house and I demanded that I had the big soaking tub with the jets put in the master bath. And then we were in the house and I was like, when was the last time? You took a bath because it brings you joy. Right. Doesn't cost you anything. Doesn't cost you any money, but it does cost you time. Right. What do you recommend? We have a lot of um, single mothers within our organization. I know there's a lot that might be listening as well. What do you recommend from time management? So obviously, and obviously you weren't a single mother, but you had two daughters, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or have two daughters, I should say. And they um, obviously very successful in your career. How did you manage time to do, to put the lotion on? What are some recommendations on, you know, someone that's going through, walking through Dr. Karen's shoes, you know, back when, and, you know, they find out, okay, hey, here are my five things. I'm not dancing. Mm -hmm. I want to dance, but then I don't have time. So there's that variance of not having time. And then the goal of the action that is the desired outcome. How do they, how do you change that? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, um, I need to say this. I believe in God, but I do not believe in time management. I believe in God, but I do not believe in work-life balance. Um, work-life balance makes it sound like once you finish all your work, 
then you can have a life. And even when you die, there's going to be more work to be done. So I like to think about life balance instead of work-life balance. And also life balance instead of time management. We've been talking about time management forever and ever and ever, and we still haven't figured out how to do it. But if we think about it within the context of our life, what is it I want my life to look like? What is it I want my life to feel like? And then put in strategies to make that happen. I think the the best piece of information I could give any single mom, married mom, single dad or married is to decide what is important to you and start to schedule it into your life and to set boundaries and to learn to say no. So many of us are doing things that we really don't even want to do. And we're not doing it necessarily because we want to do it, but because of expectations of others. So if we can strive for personal authenticity and start to tell the truth and talk to the people around us. Um, There's a saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. My husband knows if I'm happy, guess what? Life is good. Life Life is is good. Life is good. But we've got to have the courage to say, you know what? I haven't danced in 10 years. I want to go dancing. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't taken a bath in two weeks. I'm putting the do not disturb sign on the door and I'm taking a bath. I encourage a lot of women to uh, take a time out. For children, it's a punishment. Oh, Kyle, you did this terrible thing. Go sit on the step for 15 minutes. That still happens. (laughs) But sometimes as adults, as women, as moms, as wives, we need to take a time out. We need to take a time out. I agree 100%. And I think saying no, just to, on a personal, it's refreshing for me to hear um, because I struggle with that. And I think mm-hmm. as things can continue to expand with my family <clears throat> and then also with uh, the career, like I have to learn to say say no because there's just so much uh, out there. Like you said, you're when I looked at it and I did some self-inspection or self-aware of like, where am I spending my time mm-hmm. and where do I not want to be spending my time? And I'm saying yes to some people are spending time where I shouldn't be spending time, but it takes, it takes you to step up. I've seen that <clears throat> and be uncomfortable for me at least mm-hmm. to say sure. no. Yeah. So, so can I give you some strategies on how to say no? Would love to. Could I see that book there? Cause I have a question before we transition from the book too about that, Okay. about the cover. Do you want to ask it now? Are those your feet? No, I outsourced that job. Okay. <laughs> because I have a birth defect and I'll show you. Okay. Oh. So so I didn't want those toes on. I thought it would be distracting. So I outsourced the job. So, so now for, I just have on one shoe. So. So, so for those who haven't uh who haven't seen the book yet. Uh, on the cover, there is a picture of feet, and obviously with the title, um, it all started when I stopped using lotion um, to see feet. I just was curious as if those were your actual Much better feet. looking feet than mine. Mine too. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Mine too. So, so I wanted to share this with you, uh, and this is in the book. It's, it's called KT's 10-Step Decision-Making Process. And so these are things I suggest people ask themselves before they say yes. All right. So someone asked you to do something. What is your gut reaction? Say yes, typically, or you feel. Well, I think if it's something you really want to do, your gut is like, yeah. Right. And if it's something you don't want to do, you're like, 
but we we say yes even though our gut our gut tells us no. So something else, how much time must I invest? If I invite you to be on a board, do we meet once a month? Is there a committee that I have to be at for two times a month? What's the time investment? And then how much money must I invest? Am I going to have to pay for the privilege to do this thing? How will this decision affect my family? Does it mean I'm going to be away from my wife, my husband, my kids, my significant other? How does this decision affect my business and career goals? Is this going to get me further up the corporate ladder or is it just, just something else on my to-do list? How will this decision affect my relationships? What are the risks and what are the opportunities? What are the pros and the cons? What will happen if I say no? Like, will the world stop spinning? That's hard for people to do. And then finally, again, because I'm a person of faith, have I prayed about it? And I used to be the person who someone made a request and I would automatically say yes. And then on the way home, I would go, why did I say that? So now when people ask me anything, even if it's something that my gut tells me, that would be kind of cool. You know what, Calvin, thank you so much. Could I have about 24 hours to think about it and I'll get right back with you? Why not just take a day, sleep on it, Mm -hmm. and then make a decision? And then whatever that decision is, you'll probably feel better about it. And then if it's something I don't want to do, I call Calvin the next day and say, you know, thank you so much for asking me at this time. I'm not going to be able to do it. But you know what? Do you know, Kyle, he would be a great person to ask. And it might not be you, but if there's someone else who's better suited to do it, make a referral. That's great. Yeah, so you can... Still help, but not be mm-hmm. the one that's owning that action item, but you're also referring someone that might fill in and accomplish the goal that they're trying to. That's great. Fill in the pressure to say yes, which, which is, it's hard for people to say no. So yeah, a lot of I have not read the guilty. book, obviously, but I need to because that, those, that one page in the book was already <laughs> worth, the, worth the read. Right. So I'm sure there's a lot more. Yeah. Um, that's, that's fantastic. So how do people... Um, get the book is it on amazon or how do they how do they buy it it is on amazon they can also get it at aboutmysisters.com and if they order it from their website then i get to sign it which i like to do um because i want to make it personal for every person who reads the book awesome what you signed are so thank you very much for that she showed up with three copies of the book and they're autographed and appreciate that so now um as we kind of head to the conclusion of this, you're now K Townsend Consulting, mm-hmm. doing a lot of different things. Uh, kind of explain what you're currently doing and then what the vision, I mean, you mentioned some things uh, previously, but what is the vision of Dr. Karen and things moving forward? K Townsend Consulting is an organizational development firm, and we work with leaders who are committed to creating inclusive environments and building strong teams. I do a lot of work around leadership and diversity and personal excellence. I like to think of myself as a person who is focused on people development. Many organizations across the country, across the world, have no problem investing in products and processes and procedures, but they forget that it's the people who make things happen. And I like to work with leaders who are proactive, who understand that if I invest in my people, the return will be success for our organization and everybody we serve. So if I can be a part of helping an organization 
affirm, appreciate, and value their people, then that's a perfect fit for me. Is there a certain size or scope of organization that you work with or don't work with? I have worked with just about every type of organization you can think of. I, I'm working on a project right now with the Department of Defense. My background's education, so I've worked with educators. Um, I work with nonprofits. I work with any organization that has people. There you go. But I only work with leaders who are committed to people. I, I don't want to do a check the box kind of thing. We're going to do it just because everybody else is doing it. I really want to be a part of helping organizations transform to excellence. That's great. Mr. Blackman over there does that for us. And some of the culture. You guy. Bet, hey, you better be reading this book. That's why I got a copy. <laughs> Might need the audio book. And, and the 937, another 937 connection, another uh, leader of people. So that's great because Calvin does that for us. And I know we're we're really trying to evolve. And I know being so passionate about people, which we are too, at least you know, we're investing into the people, uh, I believe. Um, and I think it's it does take a concentrated effort. There's so many things that can distract you from that, but to kind of get back to the core roots. And so once again, another refreshing moment of, of this podcast with you is to remind myself and everyone else is that you really have to sometimes sit back, not only look at about yourself, but look at how, if you're from a business perspective, how are, how are you, um, you know, creating time and investment into your people? Um, so I, I would love to learn more about that as well. So. Well, you know, when I walked in today, I knew this was a different type of organization. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother used to say, I'm from Kentucky, that a fish stinks from the head down. So that means whatever the leader does, it cascades down to the people. So I also believe that if the leader's doing great things, that that cascades down. So when I walked into the building, I almost went to the wrong door and someone said, no, we're expecting you upstairs, go to the second floor. It wasn't just some guy sees some lady in the lobby and just lets her figure it out. He was aware that I looked like I was lost and he wanted to help me get where I needed to be. That doesn't happen everywhere. So that's a tribute to the culture that you all have going on. It's great to hear. Our leader, our leader doesn't stink. He doesn't stink. I don't know. I might. <laughs> I might. <laughs> no. Would you care to maybe talk just a little bit um, as we conclude here um, about the three areas of like training and development? Twenty first uh, was it? Twenty first century inclusive diversity? inclusive leadership. Twenty first century um, diversity and personal excellence. Yeah. Um, When I first started doing diversity work, a lot of the conversations were around race and gender. And while we still need to have those conversations, Mm -hmm. there are other aspects of diversity that are equally important. Generational diversity. We are working with organizations that have four or five generations at work. We have people with different experiences, people from different religious backgrounds, people with different uh, political beliefs. We're going into an election and and those diverse thoughts are going to bring diverse conversations to organizations. So how can we create an environment where we can harmoniously coexist. So that's something that's important to me. When it comes to leadership, sometimes people are in leadership positions, but they don't have the skills to equip them to be successful. And then they don't bring their best and they can't serve the organization um, as they 
possibly could. And then personal excellence to me is anything that's one on one. How can you be a better person? Because if you're a better person, then you'll be a better employee. We don't just check ourselves at the door. I'm not just a wife and mother when I'm in a par- in the parking lot and then I come in here and I'm your employee. So I believe in a holistic approach to professional development. And I love that because the diversity and inclusion, we've had, this will be our third conversation of what our 10 or 11 podcasts is. We had two folks that were disabled, mm-hmm. Josh Sams, Corporal Josh Sams, and then Lily Rice um, in two previous episodes that are disabled. I think that's another important piece of diversity and inclusion is you know, whether if you have a disability or like you said, race, gender, there's so many different things that are needing to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So I think a holistic approach is healthy because there is a lot of people out there. Um, maybe it's not as much as gender or race, but there's other groups of mm-hmm. folks or communities that need that type of support as well. Um, and I thought they brought that awareness, at least to us and myself, another friendly reminder of um, you know, folks that have a disability that need support too. So mm-hmm. I love the the holistic approach because I think that's a need. Well, I want everybody to realize that we're all a part of this conversation. And sometimes I believe diversity gets a bad name because what people think it's about and it may not be about me. A lot of white guys don't think diversity is about them, but every white guy doesn't have the same experience. So there's there's diversity mm-hmm. among your group that people may not even consider. Right. Now you tell me I stink. I'm a white guy. <laughs> Man. Did you not know you were a white guy before? No, I, I didn't. I didn't know you were black. If you hear him rap, you'd know. You came in. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know you were black. I don't know I'm white. It doesn't matter, right? We're just one team here. So, like, well, let's end in rap. We, every, um, every episode, we have rapid fire questions. Oh, I so, thought you were going to say I had to do a rap. Oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. I've already ruined that. Yeah, no, we probably yeah. won't rap anymore. Yeah, on our producer story. tried to try to even get it to, you know, he was just so embarrassed. Yeah, but he put it in there. We made so needless to say, in. we will not make you rap because I, I rapped in a previous episode and I was terrible. But you know, my maiden name is Reynolds and I thought, you know, I should do like a Reynolds rap. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. oh. Hey, you better watch out. He throws on beats real no. quick and don't hit the button. Yeah, don't hit the button because he hits the button. You're on the you're, <laughs> you're on the hot seat. You're on the hot seat. So, but uh, we d- we love rapid fire. Um, do you mean so, to leave this one off? Yeah, go ahead. Did you know about this one? No, I didn't know. I'm okay. afraid. No, you. So I talked be, to you about I, this on the, on our pre call. Okay. Um, and you can keep it high level, but the P story. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. How much time do we have? I have to put it in perspective. Okay, so oh my gosh. That's a great remember, first uh great rapid one. fire question. Yes. It's rapid. It sounds like it might be a long Remember when I said when you tell your truth, it gives other people permission to tell theirs. All right. So I was on my way to a meeting. And I kind of had to go to the restroom. This is something that women do. I don't think men try to hold their pee. But I needed to go, but I had to make these copies. So I went to the copy room to make the copies. And the person in front of me had like 7,025 copies to make, right? I'm like, oh my gosh. So they're making copies and then the copy machine breaks. So now they have to call somebody to help. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I really got to go. But I got to wait because I got to make these copies. So somebody comes to finish, to fix the machine. And it's my turn. I make my copies and I really got to go really bad. But I make my copies. I grab them. 
and I gotta really go now. So I'm running to the restroom. I can't believe you want me to tell the story. <laughs> so I'm running Such to the restroom story. and I burst, I burst into the stall. Oh my gosh. And I don't make it, right? <laughs> I don't make it. So oh, I just no. like go. Um, I didn't even like get my underwear off. So now <laughs> I have to take my underwear off and throw it away. And I'm thinking, how am I going to explain to my husband that I left the house this morning with underwear and now I don't have any? <laughs> and then I have to go to this meeting. So now I have to like freshen up because of what just happened. And the the office I was in was very eco-friendly. So they had the brown paper towels that are good for the environment, but not good for your girly parts. Mm. So anyway, I do what I got to do. And I go to the meeting with no underwear. Um, and I leave and I'm on my way home and I'm calling my friend whose name I won't say to protect her identity. And I was like, you'll never believe what happened today. And she said, what? I said, I peed on myself. And she said, what? She said, like, just a little dribble. And I'm like, no, the damn broke. <laughs> and she said, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. And she said, girl, don't be embarrassed. I pee on myself all the time. <laughs> I just carry extra underwear. And so what for me was very em embarrassing, I told her and she told me that she'd had a similar situation. And it really made me realize what is so embarrassing to you, mm -hmm. what you think is so awful. Somebody else has been through it. Mm -hmm. Somebody's peed on themselves. Well, if I do ever do, I'm going to call you. You know, we, so. we've been through these things, whether <laughs> whether it's peeing on yourself or having a miscarriage. I love it. There's yeah. somebody who's been through it. And when you tell your truth, it gives other people permission to tell theirs. Powerful. That's why that was the number one oh rapid gosh. fire. Wow. I don't know if I can follow that up, but I'll, I'll, I have one here. Is it Love still it. a dream to be on the Ellen show? Um, Sure. Because Oprah's gone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I like, I like Ellen because she's so fun and she's so philanthropic in ways that make an impact. And because she's an openly gay woman and she's unapologetically who she is, I think that's pretty cool. Very good. Will you write another book? Oh, yes. Okay. It's in process. Awesome. Oh, breaking news. Are you allowed to discuss the topic or the... Confessions of a Superwoman, real stories from real women about real life. Boom. Love it. When's it going to come out? I don't know. So in progress, in roughly. Progress. So when I'm when I finish it and publish it, can I come back? Sure, absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Yes. Hey, you just keep dropping knowledge. So give me a deadline. Give me a deadline because if you give me a deadline, I'll finish it. August 2020. Whoa, you're putting that too in. soon. That's a that's a no. Tight. That'll be great because it'll be then if it's published in August 2020, we can promote it and it will be available for yeah. Christmas for sales holiday. next year. There you go. Mike. See, look, you guys are already teaming up Mike figuring drop. this thing out. I like it. You got the last one here? So you wrote an um, article um, about Halloween masks um, mm. that you had wrote. And I thought that was very unique and very interesting um, just based on, you know, what it was about. And if maybe you want to talk a little bit about kind of what the article was from a high level. And then are there any masks that you currently wear? 
The article's title was, Are You Still Wearing Your Mask? And I wrote it a few days after Halloween, because when it's Halloween, people put on masks, uh, they reveal who they are, or they they don't reveal who they are. Um, And little kids go out and pick out candy and you're rewarded for not being who you are. And sometimes it's the same way in life. We wear these masks and we we don't walk into our truth or our authenticity. And we do it because maybe we don't believe we will be accepted for who we are. Maybe we believe we can't meet the expectations of others. But wearing a mask can be very difficult. Um, sometimes it makes it hard to see. And what I, I talked about in the article, you know, the the ones that, that connect themselves to your face, it has a rubber band on it, that can be uncomfortable. And then there's some that cover your whole face and make it hard to breathe. And I, I think that's not just figurative, but it's also literal for many people, the way we live our lives. Do I currently wear any mask? Um, heck yeah, because trying to meet the expectations and not wanting to disappoint. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I had my makeup artist come to my house this morning so I would look really cute to be here. Why didn't I just show up the way I look when I wake up? Because of the expectations of the world. And I believe we all wear our mask and we need to have more courage to um, take them off and be authentically who we are, which back to the book is what the book is about. Uh, Being able to tell your truth and not be afraid. Awesome. Uh, amen to that yeah I, I don't have any i don't know i think i'm speechless yeah, it's a great way <laughs> so as we come to a conclusion i think you have so much great um content and just vision and just a great person you know thank i just you. got to meet you but thank you how do people to to go off of that how do people engage with you what are the different ways either on social media websites can you rattle through those just because i think there's a lot of people i would imagine that are going to listen and say hey i want to learn more mm-hmm. my website is drkarentownsend.com i'm on linkedin what is my name on linkedin calvin dr, dr. karen, karen. Townsend. Okay. Dr. Karen Townsend. I think that's who I am everywhere. Okay. I'm really just getting into this social media thing because people told me I had to, uh, but I really like this more. I like to be around I people. thought that was going to be a trick question. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, pretty sure I typed in Dr. Karen Townsend. Well, I, I connected with her and I was on my flight back from Los Angeles and she said, well, we're having, uh, she's telling us what we're having for lunch. She said, we're going to have some filet mignon and like mashed potatoes or something. I'm like, Great. We were really hey. on the phone together. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like laughing and the guy next to me is like, what is he laughing? I'm like, well, I guess I'm having filet mignon tomorrow for lunch. <laughs> it's a good way to end the week on a Friday. So, Love but uh, yeah, Dr. Karen Townsend, thank you so much for your time and thank your you. insights and being so open and, and um, transparent about things that you've gone through. I uh, did I apologize for the peace story from my partner here. My um, business coach is going to get on me. About that. <laughs> but you know what? Someone needed to hear that. Someone, story. I, I do believe yeah. that. The, that truth, like you said, set someone he else. He makes you free. He, 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 he makes, makes you free. free. 
What a better, so no we, better way to end. Uh, don't this be surprised episode. when we release your episode, and that's the kind oh my god, she yeah. <laughs> makes you free. So, but thank Love you it. so much, yes. uh, for joining us on the underdog podcast. And, and we look forward to your new book coming out and having in you August back of on. 2020, right? Yes, August of 2020. Um, sounds like Calvin will be on the uh, forwarded or whatever the books say. So, <laughs> I don't need any, I don't need any credit, yeah. But uh, thank you so much, yes, thank, thank you very you. much, thank you. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.